Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Welcome to Mindspace. Uh, this is Jeff. How you doing, Evan? Good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy Halloween almost. Yeah, and we're going to continue that month with another great Halloween guest, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's right. It's all, it's all about the horror today. We, got, uh, we have Steve Niles, uh, who is one of my favorite guys in the comics industry, and uh, he's a real specialist, you know? A lot of people in comics that write or draw comics are specialists in superheroes, like uh, quite a few of them are. But uh, Steve is a specialist in horror, which you don't necessarily see quite as often. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, his bibliography is insane. You know, he worked on a Night of the Living Dead comic, an I Am Legend comic. He worked on, thir- mm-hmm. and then his big first comic he did solo was 30 Days a Night with Ben Templesmith. And then he has like, my favorite series of his, which is Criminal Macabre, which he mm-hmm. also did with Ben Templesmith. And it just, I mean, the list just keeps going. I mean, he freaks of the heartland, 28 Days Later, The Aftermath. It just keeps going and going and going. And he, he's like a true fan of horror, too. Yeah, exactly. He's a real connoisseur. Um, uh, he loves, um, like, the classic horror, you know, the Universal Monsters, especially Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the, the Boris Karloff image and, and the ways that that's uh, echoed through popular culture. And uh, I, I first became aware of Steve. I think Darwin Cook actually might have introduced us but uh, my first thing I was aware of that he did was 30 Days a Night, which was that it was executed extremely well. It's a story about vampires having a big feast. But uh, the real uh, kind of allure of the, the story is this idea that Steve had about, wow, if you're a vampire and you can't go out during the daytime, why not take advantage of that 30 days of night that they have up in Alaska? Yeah. So it's just one of those great like kernel of an ideas that, uh, that as soon as you hear it, you know it's going to be good, and and uh, I thought it was really great to get it in the title too, like with like really really uh, savvy and and uh, and uh, it seems organic as well. But uh, that and Criminal Macabre and a lot of the horror stuff. So we're going to talk to Steve today about those things and about Bernie Wrightson. I don't know how much you know about Bernie Wrightson, Evan. Do you know? I I don't know much about him. I have to say. Yeah, he's a, he's a like a, a towering figure to people that grew up uh, reading comics in the 60s and 70s. Um, I grew up, you know, the first comics I saw were in the 70s, you know, like uh, Mm -hmm. 74, 75, when I was like like three or four years old. And uh, Bernie Wrightson, you know, he he was co-creator of Swamp Thing, and he did all the horror, he did a lot of horror stuff. He was super famous for doing this horror, kind of the gothic, traditional, uh, House of Secrets, House of Mystery, you know, kind of uh, classic high horror, but uh, not limited to that. And he could he could do anything. He also was the artist. Bernie was uh, Bernie writes in, on the Cult, which is a real landmark miniseries with Batman. 
uh, in the 1980s. Uh, and he's just a tremendous, tremendous talent. He's known for his very intricate line work and his very kind of evocative uh, horror imagery. And uh, we lost Bernie a few years back. So we're going to talk to Steve about uh, this guy who is just one of the, he's a, a talent. Uh, you know, it's like Neil Adams, mm -hmm. Jim Steranko, Bernie Wrightson. He's like that level. You know, he's right up there with the, the, the titans of the, uh, whose careers started in the 60s, those guys. Those, uh, and he came a little later than like Frazetta and uh, obviously later than Kirby or Eisner and any of those guys who started in the golden age. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to Steve. And, you know, he he showed us a little bit about of his uh, Frankenstein collection, which I thought was really cool. You know, he has like all these different like toys and posters and artwork of Frankenstein, the Boris Karloff one. It's very, very cool. So uh, he'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but before yeah. we get to his interview, you know, we have a little bit of news to discuss, which okay. I'm sure you're already aware. But unfortunately many many movies that were coming out soon and then a little bit next year have been pushed let's say indefinitely because 2022 doesn't even seem like a real year it's a lot of twos for one year yeah, yeah. uh there's a two and then there's a zero and then there's two more twos so that's yeah. quite a few twos yeah. um yeah they're gonna have to change all those signs to coming not so soon you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly coming not so soon you know uh Everybody wants to. They uh, everybody wants their movies out, and everybody wants their movie, movies to be seen and successful. But of course, everybody's worried that uh, the timing uh, isn't going to be on their side. And and with everything that everybody's dealing with in the world right now, go figure. Of course, it's going to. I'm surprised that uh, we're not already talking about 2023. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, we had talked about Dune a little bit a couple weeks ago. That got pushed to 2021 right. the batman's getting pushed to 2022 um there's it just go, the list goes on and on and on you know the new matrix getting pushed spider-man's getting pushed it's you yeah. know yeah it's unfortunate you know it's gonna be it's a shame but it's, yeah. it's it's where we're at so it's a it's a you know i don't think anybody's really surprised yeah yeah that's true at this point, at this point. um so. But on the other, on the good side of uh, movies, they've announced that they're rebooting the Resident Evil franchise, and I thought that was did you, interesting. Did you say President President Evil? Was that what you just said? <laughs> no, no. But I think that movie could do very well right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about the Resident Evil series based on the video game. Uh, I think it did like six or seven movies. I total. think so. And yeah, and uh, with uh, Mila Yovanovitch, and uh, I think I hope I'm saying that right. And she, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she became the first. Uh, she she became the first Hollywood star to be um, an actress featured in uh, a franchise that had gone north of four installments, I believe. That's kind of a mouthful there. I think she became <laughs> the first woman to be the headline um, star of a multi-film franchise that exceeded four or five in, in installments. Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does. Yeah, um, and Sigourney Weaver, you know, like with Alien, she would be right up there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Terminator doesn't really kind of qualify because Linda Hamilton's only been in a few of them. You know, so, yeah, that's true. You know, uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Zoe oh, yeah. Saldana. You know, mm -hmm. the, there's a Ewa lot of Thurman. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, action actresses who have a lot of movies, but uh, none that are in one franchise all strung together like that, though. So. Uh, yeah, I, we don't. I, I expect that she's probably not going to be in this one, though. Probably, right? 
Uh, no, I think it, I think it's like a complete reboot. Um, you know, they announced some of the cast. It's like Robbie Amell. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, well, my favorite thing that he's in is the Babysitter series that's on Netflix. Um, he's hilarious in that, but that's probably not what he's best known for. He's um, in uh, the download thing. Uh, oh yeah, uh, upload. Upload. Forgive me. Yeah, I uh, watched a few episodes of that. He's in that, and I know his brother from Arrow. Um, you know, oh yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Tom Hopper, who plays number one in uh, uh, Umbrella Academy, is going to be in it. Yeah, so that's a whole fresh start. Yeah, it's it's it, there's not very many video game uh, franchises uh, on the film side. You know, they don't seem to endure. I mean, we've had Laura Croft, you know, a, a couple of bites of that apple, mm-hmm. um, trying to make that work, and, and with some success. But uh, you look at the video game. Uh, there's not a lot of great video games based on movies and there's not a lot of great movies based on video games. I mean, that's very true. I think, I think you're right. I think Resident Evil is probably the one that has had success on both sides. Yeah. You know, there's a, you just don't really see a ton of video game adaptations. You get things like Max Payne. You remember I mean, that was a big deal, but then it wasn't, you know, um, it was nothing. I think that was kind of like comic books. The movie was almost nothing like the video game. And so I think people were kind of like, confused you know they kind of yeah, added like a point? like demons or something to the movie with mark yeah. Wahlberg. yeah yeah weird. there's all kinds of stuff um yeah and and uh, you know you look at when they do like a world of warcraft movie and you're like well why like you know what's how's, <laughs> how does that work like because or dungeons and dragons you know they're trying to do another dungeons and dragons movie uh mm-hmm. but the thing is is there is no dungeons and dragons story that's the whole point about dungeons and dragons it's whatever happens to your you know, each adventure is a, is a unique and, uh, you know, kind of, it's not that rigid. It's not like Lord of the Rings where it's a very familiar arc story arc yeah. that you're going to yeah. follow. You know, you know, who, what, who's the, what characters at the central is the central character in Dungeons and Dragons movie? You know, it, mm-hmm. there is none, you know, cause it's just not the way it's built. Yeah, um, that's very true. And then a lot of people make their own quests and, um in Dungeons and Dragons so you're right there's not really like any big characters that people can be looking forward to yeah it's not like a familiar story or uh, you know a kind of a a uh, even recognizable structure of a story that uh that is going to pull people in the way like a Harry Potter or a Lord of the Rings where you know there's a, a hero's journey that's familiar to everyone yeah so, that's uh, very true yeah, but it's, it's sort of interesting that it's not worked. And it's also interesting that there's not really great video games that are based on movies because a lot of the movie adaptations that hit the video game shelves, you know, seem like afterthoughts or they just don't seem to kind of uh, kind of grab the imagination. It's probably the way that they're they're made because of the all the things that have to be done. There's so much of a lead time necessary to make a game mm-hmm. and to make a movie. So these things are happening contemporaneously, but they they don't interact in an organic way. I mean, they're kept separate. So each of them is probably stifled in a way. Yeah. I think part of it too, is when you're playing a video game, generally it's you're, you're having your own experience with the game hmm. and then it's completely your own. But then when it comes onto, you know, a, a movie screen, it feels less like your own experience and more like a group experience. And so yeah. they might be having things in the movie that like you didn't feel when you were playing the game yourself. Yeah. One exception to that is a great film that I will recommend, which is Doom. It was in 2005. It had Carl Urban, uh, okay. Dwayne Johnson, and Rosamund Pike. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's, I missed that. 
it's just a fun movie. I mean, you know, it's not taking itself very seriously, but it, it's just a fun movie and it's based off of the uh, old video game Doom. So, which has now actually had its own resurgence. So. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. check that out. You know, I have not seen that. I have not seen that. I remember um, the big video game thing that I remember going to uh, was Prince of Persia, you know, the, oh, Jerry, yeah. the Jerry Bruckheimer movie produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and um, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Ben Kingsley. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember going to uh, interview Jake for that on stage up in WonderCon, you know, before it was done previewing it and everybody was real excited about it and then uh months later going to the premiere and seeing the movie and i took my son and he was at the time um i want to say he was um maybe nine or ten and um we watched the movie and then we go to the little after party and there's jake gyllenhaal and there's ben kingsley and then there's jerry bruckheimer the producer of, of uh you know so many movies uh, mm -hmm. uh pirates of the caribbean franchise for instance and he sees me and he, he sees my son and he walks over to us and um, he says hi to me. And then he kind of kneels down, gets down uh, on his haunches to be eye to eye with my son, who's kind of just kind of looking around, taking it all in. And Jerry says, hi. So what do you think of Prince of Persia? Uh -oh. and my, son, my son looks at him and goes, and he holds his hand out flat like you would if you were showing somebody how tall something was. Mm -hmm. And then he, he wags his hand up and oh, down no. like it's uh like so so a, yeah, exactly he goes eh. <laughs> oh my gosh and, i, I and, bet you you just broke into a cold sweat well you know what what are you gonna do right yeah. uh I, it's not what i would have said but it's uh <laughs> i understood it i and also i gotta give my son credit because i think I, when i was that age if a grown-up said to me what do you think i'd be like sure i loved it you know like i, I just yeah. go with it i mean especially mm -hmm. if you're at a party with free food and it says prince of persia everywhere you know there's yeah. all these people there's people dressed <laughs> like the prince of persia all around you it's like a carnival and he's like mm, nah, i'm not feeling it yeah i mean he didn't say that but that's what he said and then to his credit jerry bruckheimer he nodded and he goes i know <laughs> uh -huh. that is such a great story man i wonder if your son is the youngest critic of jerry bruckheimer that he's ever met you know i guarantee you that's happened to every buddy who's ever asked a lot of kids about movies is you're going to get one who's just going to tell you the truth, you know, like um, every once in a while. But I, I just thought that was great. I love the way that Jerry did. He goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> great way to take it, man. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, but we have Steve Niles waiting and we can, yeah, keep talking. Yeah, we can keep talking about these stories all day, but let's get to the interview unless you have anything else. Nope, nope, that's it. And that's, my son's name is Ben, by the way. So I should make sure I give him credit for, if, if I'm going to tell that whole story. So, <laughs> Shout out to Ben. Uh, the youngest film critic in the world, Ben Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that sounds great. Let's talk to Steve. Well, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, horror. It's like such an interesting time for horror uh, in across yeah. all of pop culture uh in film it's really interesting it's interesting in books it's interesting in comics television but i'm wondering about the nature of horror when we live in a in a, in a world where you know you look out the door and it might have more uh, complications than the novel you're reading yeah yeah well i think you know one of my favorite things about horror is that it is confronting your fears mm. you know even even when it's fun, you know, I mean, it's still like, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You get on, you get on it willingly knowing you're going to get the crap scared out of you. And I, I really think you, you work things through that way. 
I think, you know, you do wind up confronting your fears. And so I think, you know, in times like this, people need it. People need the release. Um, and it's better that they get it through fiction, you know, than we're getting enough of it in real life. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, the, um, the interesting thing about uh, the way we're trained as either readers or as audience members, uh, we get used to the way stories are told, uh, the way they're crafted. Uh, and I find myself with the pandemic uh, being fascinated by the little details of how it affects everyday life. And it, it, they strike me as if a novelist has put this together. I'm like, oh, the thing with the masks, that's really good. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, like uh, all the little yeah. details that we pick up through being cultured by it. Yeah, it's very strange because I notice now when I'm watching a movie or TV or whatever, you know, I'm watching stuff made years ago, obviously, but I'm still like, oh my God, they're talking so close. Why aren't they wearing masks, you know? And, and it's creeping into my writing too, because I, I'm writing stuff now that I'm hoping will come out when all this is over. Right. So I'm trying to do things normally. You know, I'm just having normal, no mask. I'm not acknowledging COVID or anything like that. And it's so odd because I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I, I guess that's a testament to how um, adaptable we are because the new, the new normal, as they say, it, uh, how quickly it becomes the, the rigid thing that we're expecting, you know? Like, uh, it's, it's hard to yeah. think the way things were just a few months ago. Just three months ago, I know. Yeah. Three months ago, everything was completely normal. And now, yeah, now this, now, you know, I'm wearing a mask all the time. You know, I, I'm, we're a little lucky because I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm yeah. really cut off from people. Right. You know, I've got acres between me and any neighbors or anything. So uh, I feel a little, I feel a little more protected, but boy, when I go out, you know, I really feel it. I really yeah, feel it. Sure. Now, you know, um, I think the, the first thing that I read by you, if I remember right, was 30 Days of Night. And uh, it, it immediately struck me what just uh, the ingenuity of it, uh, the, the kind of like, wow, what a great idea. You know, just the, the, the one sentence of it uh, just jumps off the page. Um, how did that one come to you? Was that one that uh, was a thunderbolt or is that chiseling? It, you know, it, I, I, I had it for years and it was one of those, I mean, even now they do it every year in newspapers or online, they do a little human interest piece about this little town, you know, Alaska going dark. Mm. And I remember, you know, immediately ripping out the, it was a newspaper at the time, the article, and I wrote vampires in the margin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was immediately like, this is a place vampires go, you know, vampires need to go. And then I carried it around with me for years pitched it occasionally, uh, never really got a great response. And then it was actually, I pitched it to uh, Ted Adams oh. at IDW. Yeah. And Ted was the one that was like, that's a great idea. Let's go with that. And I, you know, I, it's, it's funny looking back at it, but Ben and I did it for free at the time because uh -huh. IDW was just starting out. I, w I was doing Hellspawn at the time with Todd McFarlane. Oh, sure. And I just wanted to write I wanted to write something of my own. So we did it for free. We did the first issue basically for free. And then the whole thing just exploded, you know, wow. literally true. in our hands. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was always a combination of two ideas. It was, it was, you know, vampires in Alaska, mm -hmm. but it was also that I wanted a certain type of, I wanted scary vampires. 
you know, when, I, when, you know, Buffy was still going on when, uh, you know, we came up with this thing and it was like, oh my God, they're vampires are dating teenage girls. And it's just, it's, it's getting so far from being scary. They're like our friends. Right. So it was, a, it was, that was one thing Ben and I, you know, the first term we came up with is they have to be like land sharks. No romance at all. They do not care about you at all. And I thought that is frightening. Yeah, the the ruthless, uh, the the savage of it, but not land shark like Saturday Night Live. Uh, land shark like uh, no. <laughs> a shark on land. That's right, exactly. <laughs> My first image is Chevy Chase doing that. Uh, uh, and you know the uh, the book is written, uh, the story is written so in such a lean and and um, uh, uh, brisk way. You know, it's uh, pacing is really really tremendous in that one. Uh, is that something that uh, you you seem to take to that pretty quickly. Was that something that you just had sort of uh, intuitively, you think? Yeah, you know, at the time, it was really funny because I had it written out as a movie pitch, you know, mm -hmm. so I had it in three acts. So I just said, let's just do three issues, you know, do an issue per act. And because of that, there's actually a big jump in the story from it ends with them seeing the vampires, the first yeah. issue, then the second issue, opens and they're already tearing the yeah. place apart i just you know i like writing that way because that's the way i like to read I, I i don't like things too stretched out or over explained or anything like that so yeah. i i tend to i tend to do a lot of things like that and it's it's got so, uh, kind of a it's like a whack when it, it happens if you know there's a sudden jump and you see the consequence of something that you didn't even necessarily see coming or you, you know I'm thinking like The Shining does that. You know, Kubrick does that sometimes. You'll jump to the yeah. end of something uh, or into the yeah. middle of it. And it, it makes it like somehow like more of a whipsaw fashion, uh, you know, feeling. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, we went, uh, Wizard Magazine asked us to do a bonus material at the time. And what Ben and I did was we, we scripted it. We, we did the attack. Um, so there's, there's editions now that have these additional pages in it. And to tell you the truth, I just, I, I like the page turn and it's yeah. chaos already. Yeah. You know, uh, although I have to admit in the movie, the attack scene is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Yeah. Yeah. They do that, that overhead shot and just chaos is breaking out all over the place. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. But generally, I, I like keeping things lean, and I like not treating the audience like they're idiots. Right. Which, you know, which happens a lot in horror for some reason. In horror, yeah. things get explained away. And that's the thing. You notice there's no scene in 30 Days a Night where they're like, well, what's a vampire? How do we stop <laughs> We all know. Right. We know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny to get rid of that conceit. It's funny the way you phrase that too. Uh, you know, it's sort of not uh, taking the the uh, the audience's you know sophistication for granted. I mentioned to my son. You you remember my son Ben? Uh, that you've yeah. met through the years at all the conventions. Uh, he's now uh, eighteen and he's six uh, four, which is ridiculous. I told him to stop, like to slump in my presence. You know, like come on, this is I wasn't prepared for this, but uh, uh, he's. I told him you were going to be on, and you know what he said? He said that uh, he always liked you because you, even when he was a kid, you talked to him like he was a grown-up. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, uh, the one thing that you were just saying about your audience, in a way. Uh, there, there's something um, pretty key to not being condescending toward reader, you know, the readers. 
Yeah. Well, um, you know what? That has a lot to do with just the way I was treated as a kid. My, uh, I, I hung out with my siblings who were much older than me. Right. And so I was always hanging out with adults. I was at adult parties. I was always doing these things. And people, the people I liked treated me, you know, they didn't talk down to me. Right. And I really appreciated that. So it's something that, you know, I've just tried to do as an adult, especially with kids, you know, because I hated that, you know, pat on the head and how are you doing, little boy, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I, it was so condescending. So um, it's something I really like to do. And, you know, um, I just did two all ages horror for John Carpenter, John and Sandy Carpenter's company, Storm King. Oh, wow. And I, I had such a blast. I did a werewolf story. You know, and again, I didn't explain werewolves. I didn't do any of this stuff, but I did it for kids. And I didn't, it didn't change that much of what I did. Right. You know, I just had, there was a few key things I had to steer away from. And aside from that, I just told a horror story. That's funny. There was a a saying, I think, uh, that was either was Walt Disney or one of the guys that worked for him, but said, uh, you have to make sure it's entertaining enough for adults and smart enough for kids. You know, they kind of flipped the the classic what you would expect you know exactly because kids will just say i don't get it and just walk away yeah like you you can't you can't mess around with that so well it's like i grew up on the warner brothers you know cartoons and those those always had layers of stuff there was always references that i didn't get because they were for adults but there was a whole ton of stuff i did get yeah you know i always liked the way they did that yeah, it's great to go back and see the ones with the celebrities of that era too. You know, like those are especially yeah. fascinating because some of them are pretty savage. You know, the the lampooning is is uh, it's pretty cruel uh, in some of them. Oh yeah. So, what's the last uh, horror thing that you've seen from a peer or maybe a newcomer or something that really grabbed you? Uh, you know what? Got to go back to Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, film. I was just I was just blown away. Um, well, first of all, they managed to shock me. You know, right. there's one scene that just absolutely, you know, as it happened, it shocked me. Then there's the aftermath, it shocked me. And I was just sort of like, oh my God, you know, what is this movie? Um, And I love that it sort of cultivated its own horror. It created its own horror. It wasn't like, oh, well, that's a poltergeist. That's a demon. That's this. They they came up with their own thing, a twist on the cult and possession and things like that. And I just, oh, I, 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 it, it freaked me out. So that's yeah. probably the best thing recently. Yeah, I, I feel that way about Mandy, but in a different way. You know, that was like, did you I see? Haven't seen that? Yet. Oh my goodness! Like it's it it just progressively loses its mind, like visually and uh, in in the plot, and all the actors start going crazier and crazier, except Nick Cage, who gets calmer and calmer, and that's what makes it so bizarre. It's like you know he's the star, but he he's getting like shut down kind of while everybody else is. Uh, going over the top. Oh, I should check it out. Yeah, definitely. Fun. I've seen people talk about it. it. When you were saying that, the sort of descent into madness, uh, Lighthouse. Did you see the Lighthouse? Yeah, yeah, but that's too much like my childhood. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't know why, but we watched Joker and Lighthouse the same night. Oh, you were feeling good about life, and you thought that maybe uh, yeah, it was so- a good time to slam the brakes on that. <laughs> yeah, it was like the Descent into Madness Festival, you know. <laughs> just, okay, well, let's see. What would uh, uh, Let's pick a full five films. What else would you have filled out and had like a full film festival for, uh, uh, you know, past oh the open windows? God, I don't know. You, uh, I don't even know. I'd have to do 
or Affliction. Remember Affliction with Nicholas uh, Nick Nolte? That was like one of the bleakest. What's that? Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, if we're gonna talk bleak, then it's Requiem for a Dream. You know. Sure. Sure. <laughs> that that movie just annihilated me. You know, yeah. I mean, there's just not anything good about it. And Garfield. What? Oh yeah. Okay. Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, I have been. Uh, I haven't. I had. I need to catch up on my reading for horror comics. I've been so busy writing stuff in the last couple of years. I, you know, I haven't been really reading. That's why I I cited a movie as my favorite horror thing. But there's yeah. a lot of cool stuff that I need to check out in in comics. Actually, are you trepidatious people, because sometimes it might be close to something you were thinking about, or it bleeds into something that you were kind of? No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, if. Like I usually I won't read vampire stuff or zombie stuff, but it's more of an overdose thing, right, right. you know. Because <laughs> even now people come to me and are like, "We've got a great idea, you writing vampires." I'm like, you know, no, <laughs> I'm done. You know, I, I I think I've 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 done all the vampires I can do right now. That's great. Um, There's not a sucker yeah. born every minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not. <laughs> as far as. Um, you know, every point in our life, we, we have a new challenge and a new opportunity, you know, uh, or lots of them. For you as a writer, you were talking about your, uh, the work you've been doing. Is there a challenge that you see that you have at this point in your writing life that you didn't have a few years back, one that uh, you're either um, uh, wrestling with or? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think it's just coming up with new, fresh ideas, um, okay. uh, which is always the problem. But you know, the thing is when, when 30 days a night sold or whatever, when it, when it hit, I had already been doing comics and writing for about, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, cause I, I had worked for Eclipse and all these companies. Oh, um, wow. So when that hit, I was like, it was like a permission slip to create. And I just went nuts. I mean, literally for about 10 years, I was putting out like three books a week. I mean, there's something, it was just crazy. I was creating so much stuff. Now I've really slowed down, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm doing, a, I still have a handful of stuff I'm doing, but I'm not as, I'm not as crazed as I was. Right. I'm a lot calmer about the work. So I, I tend to, I prefer to like pick something and, and work it all the way through um, as right. opposed to what I used to do. It's a comic book thing where you can write, you can write three first issues of three different series and you're, you know, so I would jump around um, now what I like to do is I, I, I start a series and I write it all the way through to the end right? without jumping around. Yeah. It's a little um, more bespoke so, kind of. Yeah. You know, I just, you, you know, I plates. don't have that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I used to be very good at spinning plates and you know, now I just, uh, I prefer to just do things one at a time. And actually, you know, that, that along with, I used to be such a spaz when it came to writing, I didn't do outlines at all right i mean like 30 days no outline you know dark days no outlines all the criminal macabre stuff i would just sit down and sort of fly by the seat of my pants huh. and that was the fun of it yeah. and that was sort of the fun of it now i love outlines you know so for like the past five years or so i've been doing detailed outlines because it makes the job of sitting down and writing the actual script so much more fun because uh -huh. i'm oh, not you know, like, because it used to just be like, oh my God, what next? What do I do? And, you know, uh, and now I, I take care of all that ahead of, ahead of time. It was, it was a bad habit. It was a really bad habit. But yeah. 
Well, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it reminds me of something that uh, I saw John Irving say once. Um, he was speaking at a, 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 a library in Washington, and he said he never starts a book until he knows the last line of the book. The first thing he writes is the last line, and then he gets to it. So, like, and if he doesn't have that, like in World According to Garp, you know, um, in a world according to Garp, we are all of us terminal cases or some pretty close line to that. He didn't start writing page one until he had that as his far boundary and went yeah. to it. Like he said, otherwise he would just wander in the desert. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. That is, that is. I don't, I'm not that detailed oriented, but you know, I definitely won't like to know where it's headed. I like to know where the story lands. Yeah. Um, but now, like I said, I, I work it out in the outline phase. So you know, that makes it a lot easier. You know, I, I got some good advice um, from Mark Miller. He was, he was the one who said like, quit jumping around different issues and, you know, work, work your way through it. Um, and he was also the one who encouraged more outlines because I would do them every once in a while. But uh, he asked me to write Kick-Ass. Right, right. And, and I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Don't worry. And he's like, could you give me an outline? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I, I sort of got used to it and did outlines for him, you know, because I realized it, it, it helps other people too, you know, right. they can see where the story is going. Especially when you're working in somebody else's sandbox, you know, like yeah. I was with Mark stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. The thing about outlines, I guess, is just like any sort of plan like that, it makes you ask yourself questions. And then when you do, you answer them um, in a certain, certain order. But uh, I, I, I kind of like the wandering in the desert that you used to do. That, that, that's closer to what my pattern's been through the years. Uh, I think yeah. I have the same challenge you do. It's, it's harder to uh, meander unless yeah. you, uh, you, know, you, you know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to be able to do it. You know, I guess it's debatable how good <laughs> the results were all the time. But, um, you know, some of my favorite stuff was just written kind of like that, you know, yeah. uh, all the criminal macabre stuff, you know, all that was basically me writing little prose bits of Cal McDonald just talking and then sitting down and just writing a comic and putting in the narration. Well, and that was so. my favorite thing about that. And, and I think that, you know, criminal macabre is probably my favorite thing that you've ever done. Um, I just love Cal and I love the, it's almost like uh, a Raymond Carver uh, short stories or like uh, reading like uh, Bukowski, uh, except there's yeah. pools and, and uh, uh, really severe supernatural consequences in Los Angeles. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with Cal and, and, and working on, on that. When did, you, when did you start Criminal Macabre? I started, well, I started writing Cal McDonald back in the 80s. He was the first thing, he was the first character I ever created. Um, and he was in one of the first books I ever did that actually came out through Eclipse. Uh -huh. um, he was, a, he, when he first started, he was a hardcore junkie though. Uh, and he wore suits and I, I was, you know, I was still playing with him a little bit. And then it's, you know, cause I used to be, I would just binge on Raymond Chandler. I just right. love Raymond Chandler, love the voice. It's, yeah. it's like a comfort to me. So I was really, that was the toughest part, was coming up with Cal's voice that didn't, that wasn't imitating Raymond Chandler. Because at right. first I was just, it was, you know, I was just trying to emulate that. It's hard um, once you fall in that cadence, it's, it's hard to get yourself out of it because it's such a, uh, a flow, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, adding the drug abuse really helped. It, yeah. it gave him a, 
he became a little more belligerent mm. than Raymond Chandler would dare, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause like, you know, what's the quote about Raymond Chandler? You know, he's, he wrote like a slumming angel. Yeah. The stuff's beautiful. Yeah, and I, really and I wanted something a little uglier, you know? Yeah. So a little sloppier. Cal, on... Yeah. yeah sloppier around the edges. And, uh, you know, the stories were a little rougher. I just, you know, I just love that guy. Uh, it's, it's, I've actually, I have tried to come up with other first person voices because I do like writing in first person uh -huh. and I just, I, I can't break out of Cal. I just can't break out of that voice. It's interesting. So, My uh, favorite voiceovers are the noir, uh, yeah. you know, the, you know, like the Chinatown and the Blade Runner when you pick that one or, you know, it, it, there's something about the going out of it that makes it really tricky. A lot of people can't pull it off, you know, in other, yeah. you know, like tonalities. It's, it's fun. Actually, we just did a, a new Criminal Macabre series last month or two months ago. We just finished one. Um, and it was just, it was like going home. I hadn't written him for about three or four years. And Dark Horse, you know, has some renewed interest in the series. So I, I, I found this wonderful artist in Hungary. Oh. And we just started working. And it I didn't know when I sat down. Well, first I outlined it. What? <laughs> I know. It never happened. It, very stand outline. But I did outline a little bit. But I, I had so much fun with the narration and the voice again. Uh -huh. Yeah. He's... he's a lot of fun you know he used to be you know just, before i had an audience i oh. used to write little prose. i used to write cal pro stories and make my because i used to be in a band oh and they were my we're gonna talk audience. about that we're gonna talk about that oh, okay <laughs> okay yeah they 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 were my only audience for the longest time and i really think trying to make that because they're not comic people you know or right. you know they, they're not genre people really so if I could make them laugh, then I knew I was doing something right, you know, oh, so that, that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. You, they are not true believers. So you're going to have to win them over, even just pay attention. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So the band, oh, you were a bunch of bands, really. I mean, you were probably six or seven bands, uh, right? I was in three. I was in three, three? bands total. I thought you were I was in Grey Matter, a band called Elevator, which I only lasted a couple shows with. Um, and then all the solo stuff that me and Jeff do is called Mood Gods. And we, so that's sort of, we, anything we do that's outside the bands, we do that, you know, we do that way. And actually, right up to when COVID started, I was flying out to DC and meeting the guys and we were recording new music. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. That'd be Just great. Just for fun. Yeah. yeah. It'd be a great soundtrack yeah. for a Cal McDonald movie. <laughs> I, Thank you, <laughs> which, which we're always trying for. You know, uh, I, I love that about Dark Horse. They never give up yeah. on, on these properties. So we're always trying to get something with Cal going, you know, trying yeah. to get a criminal macabre show or a movie, something. If you look at Mike Richardson's uh, track record, I mean, he's, he's been had movie successes long before that company uh, had any yeah. sort of uh, foothold like it does now, you know, with- uh, It goes all the way back to Dr. Giggles. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And barbed wire, and and then three hundred, yeah. and and uh, yeah. and uh, so many. You know, just uh, Sin City. You know. Yeah, and now they've got this deal at Netflix, so they've got an Umbrella Academy. Is I think you know, got renewed for oh. a second season. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's doing really, really well. For you, if if you know Cal was going to make it on the screen, what would be like the? 
I won't ask you the casting question because that one's always kind of tough. But uh, what would be the thing that you would want to make sure if you had one piece of advice to say to whoever was going to be the, the filmmaker about either the tone or about the, the character, what, what would that piece of advice be? I, you know, I would say to lean on the horror and let the comedy come out of the horror is mm. a big thing because I wouldn't want it to be quite as, like, uh, you know, when I think of comedy horror, I automatically think of American Werewolf in London. Right. I thought that leaned a little more towards comedy, but the horror was still really good. When right. they went for the horror, they went for it. Um, so it, it would be that, not to make, I, you know, I wouldn't pitch it as a comedy series. I would picture right. it as a, you know, a horror series with, you know, with some light moments coming. It's, it's Cal's reaction to the situation that I think is funny. Yeah. So it has to be horrible. It has to be horrible and scary. And then he responds appropriately. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's comedy in the sense that, you know, Pulp Fiction getting adrenaline through the middle of the chest is a comedy scene. Like, of course it is, but yes. of course it's not, you know, it's, yes. it's, uh, it's, well, it's also shooting the guy in the back of the car, you know, exactly. while they're talking, I mean, really extreme stuff, but you wind up like, you're like, Oh my God, that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. not just kind of, like super funny. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and Cal McDonald should have that kind of, uh, you know, malicious uh, sense of humor to it. Yeah, yeah, Breaking Bad did it all the time, too. Yeah. They would just push things so over the top that you have to laugh. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you watched that series, but oh, it's brilliant. where a body comes through the ceiling because they didn't use the right, they put acid in the tub. Uh, it's just like, it's the worst thing, the worst thing you can possibly imagine, but I was laughing. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. hysterical, yeah. the farce of it. Yeah. And then, you know, looking forward, what are, uh, you know, October Faction, you had the great experience with that, uh, 10 episodes, and uh, what's coming up that you're excited about? You know, I've been doing a lot of stuff with Sandy Carpenter uh, at Storm King. You know, oh, they've wow. got this label now, and they've been doing comics, and I mean, she's been buying, you know, just about everything I pitch. Wow. So I've got like four, I've got two graphic novels, just finished the werewolf series, doing all kinds of different stuff. Plus um, I'm basically right now I'm, I'm doing stuff with Clover Press, which is Ted Adams' new, new thing with him and Robbie Robbins. So I, I, I've got a couple books there that I'm very happy with. I just, just had a series come out called The Grieveling. Oh yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it's kind of, a, kind of all ages again. Um, with Damien Worm? Well, yeah, with Damien Worm, uh, who I just love working with. You know, yeah. uh, we're on, like, I think this is our fourth series now. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, October Faction at Netflix got canceled. Yeah. They didn't renew it for the second season, which effectively kills the comic, too. Yeah. So, so Damien and I, you know, but we're just, you know, just create new stuff. I love the Grieveling and I, I love working uh, with Clover. So I'm going to do that. Hopefully do some more Criminal Macabre. I've got lots. Of, I've been working with TKO for a while uh, on unannounced properties, uh, oh, projects. Wow. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. They're really fun to work with. So yeah, I've been, been juggling a lot of stuff and actually the project I'm most excited about, which I, I haven't talked too much about, was I sat down and I wrote a book about my days playing music. Really? Um, mixed it in with my, with my life. And it's sort of like it's intercut between my life and then my life in music. So it jumps around in time. 
Yeah. Um, but it covers my whole, you know, the whole history with the band and all that stuff. And the best part about it is uh, it's called Swan Street. And the best part is I got Nate Powell doing the art. Wow. Who did Mark. Yeah. Um, he comes from the same background. He's a punk rock drummer. Uh, so he really, it's really nice because he knew, he knows the DC scene in the eighties. Yeah. You know, he knows it already. So I sent him a big box of flyers and old pictures and all this stuff, but we're working on that and uh, it's going to be released through image. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Like, so, I mean, is it like, like a high fidelity kind of, you know, kind of over the years kind of uh, epic like that? It, it sort of, you know, it. I, I really had fun sort of jumping between. And one of the things it really does is I really track my relationship with Monica, my wife. Uh -huh. Yeah, because we we've known each other since we're seventeen. Wow! And you know we've sort of ventured through life, missing each other at all these different points. Literally, just missing each other. And oh. then you know, growing up in Washington D.C., and we wound up meeting again at a party in in Burbank. That's not even a real place. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a lot about it's a lot of personal stuff mixed in with the music history, you know. But I get a lot of fun stuff in there. You know, I, I had to write Ian Mackay and say, is it okay if I use you in this thing? Because he was very influential in, in my life, music life. I mean, he was a good friend. But my very first show I ever played, I turned, I had my back to the audience, like completely just turned around my face and he came up and physically turned me around <laughs> on stage. So it's, it's like little anecdotes like that. That's you know? great. You have to start with the basics. The audience is that way. <laughs> yeah exactly that's great so, yeah I, I i had horrible horrible stage fright so. oh wow wow it was that's actually amazing. comics it was comics that got rid of it really because i had to do it i had to do interviews i had to do panels you know all these all these things that you know would have just made me nauseous before i just i learned to do it actually pitching movies to blank faces yeah. That'll get rid of your stage fright fast. Right, right. Yeah. Talk about a, a tough room. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, that's really great. And you know, it's like Gerard Way, like he went into comics because, I mean, he went into rock and roll because he couldn't get anywhere in comics. I, uh, you know, he was a oh, intern at DC and then he couldn't get, he couldn't pursue something like Umbrella Academy with DC. So he ended up, saying, well, I'll just start a band and then had like five or six platinum albums. Like showing how that's hard it is to get in comics. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And he's yeah. had really good success in comics. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, good stuff there. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Bernie, um, the great Bernie yeah. Wrightson. You know, I know that for you, it was one of the, probably the crowning joys of your career to this point, uh, your affiliation and association and, and support of him. Yeah, absolutely. I was just gonna, you know, I, I grew up a fan of his. I, you know, uh, his Frankenstein book, you know, I had when I was maybe 12 years old, yeah. you know, and just, and his comics and everything. And I just, you know, I idolized the guy. And then what wound up happening was um, I did a convention in Texas. Hmm. And he was doing the, he was doing the same convention as me. So I got up the nerve and brought over a few of my books and introduced myself and it turned out we lived one block apart from each other in LA at the time like for years oh. yeah like we had for a while um 
And so we immediately just started hanging out. You know, it was just like pizza and beer. Uh, we eventually turned it into a Friday night thing where we got pizza, beer, and we played Scrabble. Wow. Every Friday. That's great. And we just sit there. And that's how we wrote. We would, you know, we would go off and have little meetings and everything. But basically, we would just sit around laughing. Yeah. Come up with these ideas. You know, because the stuff that Bernie and I did, we did, you know, we did five books together, five series. Three of them were really light. Like very light. I mean, they're horror and there's gore and action and all that kind of stuff, but they weren't scary or anything like that. Because that kind of just reflected our mood. Mm -hmm. You know, we just would hang out and whatever we found funny would go in the comic, as well as like, you know, every once in a while, Bernie would just go, I feel like drawing dog sized ants. (laughs) Okay, I will figure out a way to get that in the story. That's terrific. You know, and oh, it was just you know, it was just. I mean, that's the thing, you know. When we when the we first met, I was so thrilled to be friends with him. Yeah, I didn't dare bring up work. Right. You right. know, because I know because I, I hung around with him enough to see like everybody hit him up for work. Yeah. So I never I never said a word. And after he did, um, what was that? Oh, he did it with Len. Len Wein and him did a parody of the Swamp Thing for Simpsons oh, he, Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. And that got him back in the comic mood. And that's when he came to me with City of Others. Right. And he's like, I wanted, and so we started formulating. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to because all the series that Bernie and I did were supposed to all be in the same city, oh. in the same world. Like the universe, yeah. But we got yeah, but Dark Horse bailed on City of Others, so we wound up doing the other three books at IDW, or oh, the other four books, because, you know, we were very lucky. You know, the last book we did together was the Frankenstein book. Yeah. Well, Frankenstein Alive Alive. Uh, did you see that? Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. You know, you can't believe the work in there. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. You know, I've heard... You know, I've heard people with like, oh, declining talents and things like that, you know, and he, in his 60s, he was as good as he's ever been. So I was, I was really excited about that. And then, of course, you know, he got sick. Yeah. And he wasn't able to finish it, but he had penciled the whole thing. So that's when he actually chose Kelly, Kelly Jones came in and finished it. So. Which was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kelly's, you know, I'm huge fan of Bernie's so I was just really glad we got to finish that because it was such that was something he was you know that was Bernie's book that's where we kind of reverse what we do because usually we would hang out talk and I'd run off and write this we'd hang out talk sketch some stuff out and then he would actually write captions as he was drawing wow and then he'd give it back to and he'd give it back to me and I'd work through it a little bit but this was Frankenstein Alive Alive was it was Bernie's baby, yeah. you know, and I was just sort of in one of the, it was an odd position to be in because I just wanted to stand back and let him do, you know, what he wanted to do. And yeah. I, I think it came out beautifully. I think so yeah. too. And what, what a, a great honor for you. And, and also the fact that it was so uh, genial and, and the way that it started was so organic that it must make it like triply uh, satisfying. It really is. I, you know, uh, I miss him so much. I mean, I'm actually, I have more Bernie art than probably yeah. any other artist that I collect. I've just got yeah. stuff all, I mean, right there on my shoulders, one of his pencils. We were going to do 
Remember the Jack Davis Frankenstein poster? Oh, wow. Yeah. The big door-sized yeah. one. Yeah. We were going to do one of a Bernie version. Oh, wow. What, what Would it have been black and white, though, or would it have been color? Yeah. Yeah, black and white. Wow. Yeah. That'd be great. How yeah. tall would that be? Like life size or death size? <laughs> six foot. Yeah, six foot. He's six foot. I figured he was like eight feet. I don't know why. Uh, whatever the size of a door is, basically. Oh yeah. Well, it better be you seven know, so feet. Probably, it better be seven feet around. Yeah, probably seven feet <laughs> at least. Um, so yeah, we had you know that's the thing. We had so many plans. You know, uh, Frankenstein was supposed to go on for a long time. Um, we also the one thing we did plan on we were going to do some scary stuff. Uh-huh. You know, because all our stuff was just kind of funny and light yeah. and all this. So we had planned on, you know, starting to do some really scary ghost stories and things like that. Um, but unfortunately, he got sick, you know, so, you know, he wasn't really able to do much. But um, yeah. I love the guy. I mean, you know, I moved to Texas. That's why I moved to Texas was to be with Bernie. Wow. Because he moved there first. So we moved there to be down the road from him. No kidding. Um, yeah. And actually, his wife, Liz, now lives down the street from us here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she moved back from Texas and lives right down the hill from us. The, um, you know, you were talking about when uh, you were reading as a kid. Um, and I know for me, like, he was one of those names that just defined that era of comics for me, like in the 70s. You know, I, I, Bernie Wrightson, like along with Neil Adams and, you know, uh, John Buscema and, and, and there's certain people that just, you know, John Romita, that era. Um, and nobody looked like Bernie Wrights and stuff. His stuff looks so different than anyone else's. It was like uh, walking. Yeah. It's like when you walk, if you sat into a movie theater and you didn't know what was playing, but it was a Tim Burton or a Tarantino or a uh, Woody Allen movie, you would know within three minutes or two minutes or one minute uh, just by the, the, the way it's done. And, and, and Bernie was that kind of artist. You know what was really funny? Because, yeah, I could spot Bernie, especially his faces. I could spot a Bernie face anywhere. Um, Recently, I've been collecting books that he inked. Oh, wow. He inked South Sema. He inked Steve Ditko. He inked Rich Buckler for Batman. And all these books he did. And the thing is, you can almost tell it's Bernie in certain areas. But for the most part, he was just very good at highlighting the artist he was working with. Isn't that interesting? Like but, the little accents on the edges of things where you, you, you see the, uh, yeah. the inker's personality. Exactly. What was that Batman one? Do you remember? Like with the rich butt? Rich... <laughs> I can show it to you because I just got it in the mail. Oh, it's yeah. I, yeah. Juicy... yeah. Look, so that's Bernie and Rich. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I don't have that one. <laughs> Um, I just I just ordered it because I discovered this. We, we you know with um, it, the intricacy of his drawings. I remember as a child that was that was hypnotic to me. Like uh, because you know you you would look at comic book art and you would think, can I do this? And of course the answer would be no. But you would look at his art and you would say, God, would I want to do this? It's like so much work. I, I mean that was a trademark that lasted with him for years and years. I, I always wondered what he was thinking about while he was doing each one of those little lines. Well, what was really interesting was, you know, because if you look at like um, in Frankenstein Alive Alive, there's a spread of uh, the inside of a library and there's just books and skulls and dinosaur bones and this and that. that. Bernie's office, his studio was shelves of this stuff, lab equipment, 
dinosaurs, skulls, bones, uh-huh. all all around. So I think he just he would just sit there, and, you know, glance around, and just draw these things. As a matter of fact, I, I there's one where there's a T Rex, and I completely recognized it as a little model he had on his shelf. Oh no, kidding! <laughs> so, yeah. That's yeah, it was really cool. It was interesting when he so, when he would do other uh, when he would do non horror stuff. It was interesting because sometimes it just changed the way that uh, you looked at something. Like you know, uh, well, even the classic story he did with uh, Swamp Thing and Batman, like that Batman's different yeah. than uh, any Batman I had seen before that, and and that Gotham City was different than any Gotham City I'd yeah. I've seen since then. And, well, wasn't Bernie the first one to really start elongating the ears? Yeah. I mean, the cape, I think Neil Adams kind of, you know, got into the flowing cape. But, you know, yeah, Bernie's Batman was was excellent. Yeah. It was just excellent. And then the cult, which was the great series that he did in the, the 80s, right? Would have been a really, yeah. really high point as well. Yeah. He did the cult and the weird. Yeah. Uh, it was like a little, little tight. And he did a Punisher, Punisher POV. Yeah. I think it was called. He did all that stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, just, you know, I think about the guy every day, you know, and uh, I just, that was, I mean, you're definitely right. That was, you know, highlight of my career, of my life. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, this, uh, as you know, this podcast is for heavy metal and he did a great, uh, he did some great work for heavy metal in the seventies and, and he even had um, part of the film, you know, was his character in the heavy metal movie. Um, right you know uh captain stir exactly the 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 amoral captain he did did he do freak show for heavy metal yeah yeah i thought so yeah yeah i've got a couple pages from that right Just beautiful work and then I, I i'd be interested in in your many conversations with him when he would talk about the people that blew him away or like the the, the people that he saw coming up or talents that he might have collaborated with who who was the person that he seemed to describe in almost magical terms or somebody that was uh kind of god he told me so many stories you know i mean he would tell me great stories about spending the day with richard corbin meeting steve ditko and you know things like that um is it booth franklin franklin booth Uh who's uh, i'm really bad with the old illustrators right like he was but he was very into you know, a lot of the classical illustrators, okay. but who really influenced him was Graham Ingalls. Oh, of course. He loved Graham Ingalls, you know, Gasly. Yeah. Um, from the EC days. I and mean, those were a big influence on him. You know, he just, he loved those reprints and right up to the end, he was getting those big collections. I, I bought him a couple of those big collections of EC stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he actually accepted the Hall of Fame award for Graham Ingalls. Wow at san diego so i always i always imagine that bernie must have as a kid i just imagined that he lived in a mansion in england and that he dressed like a the hammer movies and that there was just a lot of uh yeah a lot of uh axes like a lot of swinging axes and things like that but i don't think he grew up that that way did he no couldn't have been a nicer guy total (laughs) working class kind of guy uh, like I said, you know, his favorite thing that, you know, we hung out, we had beers, Pizza. you know, uh, play Scrabble. Um, one time it was really funny when we were in Texas, we both were like, you know what? We've never, we're such fans of the classic horror, the universal horror, yeah. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. So we're like, 
we need to watch them together. So the first day went really good. We just watched some hammer horror because there's, which one? there's one where we're convinced that he killed a guy because oh. the guy falls off in the balcony and we're like, holy, his neck just looks like it snapped. But we went and we were going to watch Frankenstein together and we both fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, sitting here like this and, and after the movie we both woke up we're like well that was worth a try <laughs> that's great things that go snore in the yeah. night <laughs> yeah i know it's you know but we tried we tried because we were just sitting around talking about these things endlessly yeah that's great so, well that's great you know he was such a master and, and you know and horror comics are really difficult too because or at least they're they they're often not executed well executed well it's an interesting thing because superheroes dominate the the medium so much, but you you know you mentioned EC and those those classic horror comics, and then you know some of the DC stuff up through the seventies as well. House of Mystery and House of Secrets had a really distinctive kind of almost Twilight Zone kind of moral parable twist ending, poetic justice kind of thing, and then you know comics didn't really know where to go after that a lot, you know and and. Uh, you look at the yeah. defining horror comics and they've been elusive. Yeah. Well, I always wanted to do, you know, obviously I always wanted to do horror. Um, I, you know, I was really a big fan of the creepy eerie yeah. um, stories when I grew up, they got away from that morality tale a little bit. That's true. And they would just, and they would just be like little mini movies, little horror movies, little horror. And, and that really influenced me a lot because yeah. as much as I love the EC, comics um the formula kind of got old really quick yeah you can you, you, know? you find yourself predicting it uh you know like oh okay i know where this is going yeah. you know yeah this guy's gonna pay for it you know he's the bad guy he's gonna you know it was just a matter of what would they do to him right right how would they um, do it <laughs> yeah so when, and then you know a lot of like the marvel horror uh, ghost rider morbius son of satan yeah they were more superheroes they lived more in a superhero universe right they they weren't scary so that was one of the, the big challenges when I started out, you know, because the very first books I did was I was adapting Clive Barker mm -hmm. yeah. uh, into comics. And I learned a lot from that because I was taking short stories that were scary and having to figure out how to do them as comics and, and keep them scary. You know, and a lot of it was, a lot of it was in the artwork. A lot of it was timing. Uh, you try, you know, if you can, if you can get a, a reveal on a page turn, you know, yeah. then, you, you know, that's the closest you can get to a jump scare in a comic, you know, <laughs> just have that, whatever happens, happens on the page. But I really, I think it's all a matter of atmosphere and, you know, there's a few things you can't do, but, you know, I remember people telling me 30 days a night, they thought it was scary. Yeah. And, you know, you, you couldn't, there, there's no bigger compliment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is because it doesn't show everything. It leaves moments to like your imagination and, and it's, uh, it's got so many yeah. good ideas in it. And it was very dark. The artwork was very dark. You really had to look at it. Yeah. Stuff in there. He really, you know, which I really, I liked it. So yeah. Horror comics, you know, it's, it's very, it's very different, yeah. you know, than doing superhero stuff. Yeah. You know, cause I've, I've been writing kick-ass for two years now. Um, for Mark Miller, right. and it's a totally, it's a totally different thing, wow. totally different vibe. Yeah, and with Hit Girl, right? Uh, you have uh, Hit Girl coming up in uh, June. Yeah, I'm doing Kickass versus Hit Girl as my last arc. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, um, yeah, you know, I think the the horror comics are definitely a a, a specialized uh, sort of rhythm 
and I can't think of anybody that does it better than you. So it's a, uh, it's a treat to have oh, you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I mean it for sure. And and just for the Bernie Wrights and stuff, I'm, I'm, as a uh, as a someone at a near distance who saw some of that, it was it was so pleasing to me as a fan to know that he had you as um, a protege and as a supporter, and uh, even more enjoyable reading the comics. Yeah, I was really you know one of the best things. Who said it? But it just, I don't think Bernie, Bernie didn't want to do comics for a long time. Mm. And he was just doing, um, he was doing uh, a lot of movie drawings, working at animation studios, and he, he really wasn't enjoying it. So when we got back to doing comics, he just really seemed to enjoy himself again. That's great. And that was, that really made it fun, you know? And I think it was, part of it was because of the way we wrote, I mean, you know, getting drunk together and coming up with monster stories, you know, is pretty fun. And then the fact that I did try, he would give me little tips, like I said, about the giant ants. Or he's like, make this one goopy, you know, because he, he's really good at the melting flesh, and, you know. And I, making him happy and enjoy doing comics again really was really something, yeah. you know. It really made me happy. That's beautiful, man. Well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, I can't believe... Uh... Uh, it's been so long since we talked and uh, what a treat to have you on here. Thank you so much. I know. Yeah. I think the last time we talked, you were doing a panel where in Pasadena oh. with Dan DiDio and Jim was Jim Lee on that? Jim Lee. Uh, and I couldn't make it. I remember I was, couldn't make it. Was it the Watchmen thing? Maybe. Ma like, yes. It was a, it was the Watchmen. I, they were going to explain the, uh, the, the, all the Watchmen sequel stuff beyond exactly. Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. So, and so many changes and so many, um, so sad lately, you know, I saw that, uh, um, you know, is it Joe Sinat or I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, I've always, Joe Sinat. Because I've always read it and I didn't know how to actually say it, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Danny yeah, O'Neill. I've got some art. Oh, really? Yeah, I collect Joe Sinat. I try to. I mean, what I can. I have a few. I have a few pieces of his original art. I just. Wow. He was my favorite. Yeah, and Danny, Danny O'Neill. You know. Yeah. I know. I know. It's we're we're you know Joe Sinnott was one of the last of the Silver Age guys. Absolutely. Yeah, and the Golden Age. It's really. I mean, Steve Ditko was really the last guy that started in the Golden Age. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, welcome back to California, and uh, and Thank welcome you. welcome back to my show. Wherever I'm doing, you'll always be a part of it. So uh, oh, it's uh, it's good to see you again. And uh, we'll look for the Kickass versus Hit Girl, and we'll look so many other things as well too. So many things coming out. Uh, the horror continues. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot. And what a treat it was to hear you guys talk. Steve Niles is just the nicest guy. He is such a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me how much I missed him. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. It was nice to reconnect with Steve and I'm, I'm going to bother him uh, more often. We should <laughs> definitely should. Yeah. We should have him on often. Keep yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Keep him in the crypt, the Mindspace crypt. He'd be great if we did a roundtable. I think exactly. he'd be a really great guest for that. He plays well with others. Yeah. He's very, uh, he's a very considerate, thoughtful guy. So. Yeah, it's it's funny to say that about him because you know you guys talked a little bit about how he he was in a punk rock band in Washington D.C. called Gray Matter yeah. in the in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, a, a, a band of, of uh, you know, renown too. I remember talking to um, the producer of uh, October Faction, which was the Netflix show mm-hmm. that uh, sadly uh, isn't going to come back. Uh, the one that's based on a Steve Niles um, series and had a good first season, it's worth checking out. Um, I was talking to the producer of that show uh, for a deadline story last, uh, maybe a year ago. And I mentioned Steve Niles and he's like, dude, do you know what band he was in? Do you know who this guy is? Like he, he, he was like overwhelmed by it. He was, uh, it, it was like if you were talking to Peter Gabriel about a, a film score and then found out he was in Genesis or you're talking to Mark Knopfler for a film score and found out he was in Dire Straits. I mean, he, he approached it with that level of like uh, Marvel. He was like uh, really, really impressed by that. So uh, yeah, and Washington was, you know, uh, Steve was part of a scene that was really thriving and, and uh, uh, roiling scene uh, during the 80s and 90s. Coming up during the Reagan uh, administration, you know, it, I think is when punk and hip hop in Washington really sort of solidified as a kind of a protest counterculture anti-authority kind of uh, uh, energy and and then uh, at that time you got to remember too is Washington became the capital of the murder capital of the country and and uh, oh wow uh, had the highest murder rate for years so the legacy of that and all the things that go with those social ills and had a real impact on the music yeah definitely and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I, I met comic book Steve, I, I I wish I got to meet punk rock band Steve. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. We should get together an all star band of comic book creators like Gerard Way and with Steve in there, and we find some more people that like you know used to play guitar or synthesizer or something like that. Oh, we could get, get maybe Braun in there. You know, yeah, exactly. he did the Rob, comic book with DC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rob Zombie and there's there's all kinds of people. You know. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. Well, we look. We had a lot of fun talking to Steve today. I look forward to having him back in the future, um, and another great guest on our Halloween month. Yeah, exactly. It's all spooky this whole month. Everything's spooky. We got some good stuff coming too. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, do you want to recommend the essential shelf for the week? Oh, you know, let's let's stick with Steve. You know, we we've been talking about uh, um, his work, and 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 there's a lot of good ones. You know, I really liked. Freaks of the Heartland, and I really liked, uh, obviously, 30 Days a Night's a great one. But mm-hmm. I, I would say for the essential shelf, I would go with, um, a, you know, Cal McDonald, uh, who's the, is the lead character of Criminal Macabre, which uh, we talked about during the interview. But it's, it's sort of like taking Dashiell Hammett, Hammett um, who, you know, did uh, Maltese Falcon and, and sort of Sam Spade and that, that clipped film noir, Private Eye, Gumshoe, uh, that great tradition and uh, melding it with supernatural monster stuff. So uh, Cal McDonald's like he's, he, he's for hire in Los Angeles, got a shady background. He's got a sh- shady future. He's got a shady present. Uh, and he's uh, uh, connected to the supernatural world, kind of like John Constantine Hellblazer mm-hmm. over in DC comics. He has that kind of uh, affinity and uh, uh, influence, but also he's kind of a hard, hard luck case. And it's about him and his best friend, who's a ghoul. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, one of my favorite things of the series, Jeff, is how Cal and Moloch, his sidekick ghoul, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of talk to each other. It kind of it has almost that, like, you know, the buddy cop feeling that, which some of my favorite movies are Shane Black movies, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys. And so 
kind of has that same, you know, uh, relationship with Moloch. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, that you're precisely right. It's, it, it is a terrific aspect of the book and I love the dialogue and I love just the, the Los Angeles that he roams around in and, and uh, you know, like I, I really love Rockford Files growing up, uh, mm -hmm. which is a great show about uh, kind of a scruffy PI who gets in trouble a lot, gets beat up a lot and loses the girl a lot, loses the money a lot, you know, like he's not that, you know, he's not exactly uh, thriving, but he, that makes it all the more interesting, you know, and, and Cal McDonald and, and Jim Rockford would get along great as long as, uh, you know, uh, there weren't any vampires chasing them or something like that. Yeah. And as long as Cal had his alcohol. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so definitely recommending Criminal Macabre. You can find it on Amazon. You can really find it anywhere. It's it's uh, not very rare, and it's a really great series. I got the Omnibus, uh, or the Volume 1, and it came mm -hmm. with, I think, four or five stories in it. Um, some yeah. uh, inked by, or not inked, some drawn by Ben Templesmith, who I love, yeah. who we worked with on 30 Days a Night. Great. So yeah, definitely check that out read it now because it'll be a tv show eventually or a movie oh definitely. I, definitely I can't believe it hasn't hasn't happened already just because it has that uh i think the monologue the private eye monologue would work really good on a, a, a screen adaptation of that oh yeah i think speaking of shane black i would love to see what he could do with that property yeah yeah it'd be great to see anything from shane black <laughs> yeah now b before we go you know by the time this episode airs the last episode of The Boys will be out. Um, we definitely will continue to urge our listeners to check out that series because I haven't seen the season finale yet, but just based on how the rest of the season has gone, like I know it's going to be good. I can't wait to see it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I, exactly. I'd recommend it to people even if uh, I'd, I'd recommend it sight unseen, if only to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, exactly. So definitely check out criminal macabre check out the boys and uh continue enjoying this halloween month yeah and we'll come back here on mindspace with more halloween themed material and guests uh next week i'm really excited about it we've got some spooky stuff on the way yes definitely i'm, I'm looking forward to it jeff unless you have anything else i'll talk to you again next week that sounds good i'll see you back here next week mm -hmm.